Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Ariana Bravo and this is the Autosport Podcast. Race day in Portugal and Lewis Hamilton has claimed his 97th victory. Off the line, Valtteri Bottas managed to hold on to that first place position and shortly afterwards a safety car was brought out because of contact between the Alfa Romeos of Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi. This resulted in front-wing damage for Kimi Raikkonen that ultimately led to the end of his race. At the safety car restart, Bottas maintained first place whilst Hamilton appeared to be caught off guard and lost his position to Verstappen. However, not long after, Hamilton went for the overtake using DRS and took back that second place and then went on the hunt for his teammate and he claimed the lead on lap 20. Verstappen was the first of the top three to pit, switching for the hard tyres with Bottas pitting straight afterwards but Bottas was not able to bring his tyres up to speed quickly enough and Verstappen attacked and grabbed second place. In the last few laps, with Hamilton dominating in the lead, Bottas and Verstappen decided to pit again and have a shot at fastest lap. Verstappen thought that he had it until the lap was deleted for exceeding track limits, handing that extra point to Bottas. Sergio Perez demonstrated his tyre management skills once again, going 51 laps before coming in for his first pit stop, but there was little more for him to gain in this race. However, he did come home P4, his best result since joining Red Bull. Another impressive drive from Lando Norris, bringing it home in P5. After starting on the medium tyres, he switched to the softs and went on to claim that best of the rest spot. Switching to the softs did not work nearly as well for Carlos Sainz though, who was clearly struggling in his Ferrari and ended up dropping out of the points. Meanwhile, following the disappointment of qualifying P16, today was a better day for Daniel Ricciardo, who managed to fight his way to P9. 
The strong weekend from Alpine certainly continued into race day, with both drivers ending up in the points, Esteban Ocon finishing in P7, only slightly ahead of teammate Fernando Alonso in P8, who was really on fire in the latter stages of the race. Despite strong performance yesterday, points for Sebastian Vettel and George Russell did not materialise, with the Aston Martin driver finishing P14, while George Russell struggled with his Williams, ultimately finishing P16. There is your rundown of today, but there is plenty more to discuss, and to do just that, I am joined by Luke Smith, Autosports Formula 1 reporter, Autosports Technical Director Jake Boxall-Legg, and Motorsport.com's F1 editor Jonathan Noble. How are we all? Not the most exciting race compared to the first two, but how are you all feeling? <laughs> didn't offend me, Didn't wasn't boring, we've had a lot more boring races than that. Um, mm-hmm. I know some. There's been a bit of criticism on the social media from people saying it was quite boring, but I don't think it was too bad. We had Lewis had to work hard for it. Came through, yeah. had to overtake, um, you know, an overtaking move on Max, overtaking move on Valtteri. Uh, it was quite close at the front. It wasn't decided by huge margins. It could have swung either way. So I thought it was all right. Not not the greatest. Six out of ten, maybe. I think that's been a bit generous, to be honest. No, I. I... Uh, I'd maybe go a four, five. It was just a bit... Okay, four. we saw some overtakes for the lead and that was um, that was quite nice, I guess. But yeah, it was just a bit of a, a, bit of a slow burner and we got into this sort of uh, tyre management phase of the race where everyone was going quite slowly and um, uh, Stuart Codling, our, our colleague from GP Racing, he messaged me at one point saying that... Uh, Mick Schumacher's times were comparable with uh, Fernando Alonso's because they were just sort of, that's how much of a tyre save it was. And I said, if it was 2006, Schumacher and Alonso on pace, that's quite cool. But it's not, and it's a half. So, so yeah. Um, but yeah, it was nice to see some some fights for the lead, I guess. I, I'm enjoying the sort of Red Bull, Mercedes, Hamilton, Verstappen battle. That's really, really cool. So that's all good. Uh, but yeah, I was sort of like halfway through that race sort of thinking, what are we going to talk about afterwards? I was wondering the same. Don't worry. I have a backup plan. <laughs> <laughs> JBL, what do you rate it? What were your thoughts? I thought it was it was fine. It was a perfectly serviceable race. I've seen far worse. Uh, obviously, this year we've had better. We've been really spoiled, I think. I think the first two races kind of skew it a little bit. If it was, I don't know, a few seasons ago, we'd had this race, we'd gone, oh, yeah, that was this was this was all right. But you know, it was it was perfectly fine. I'm sure it's nowhere near as exciting as the line of duty that you and John are absolutely. <laughs> gasping to watch later <laughs> later on but uh yeah it was fine if you notice us rushing through the podcast that would be why now it was another victory for lewis hamilton and at one point he did find himself down in third but that didn't last too long and he went on to have a pretty dominant drive solid performance from him today luke yeah very good i think it was another sort of case of Lewis Hamilton just pulling out of the bag that extra bit that makes him so special and Toto Wolff was asked after after the race about it and he said is it just really an exceptional Lewis Hamilton display and he said but exceptional has now become Lewis's standard like every week he seems to pull something out of the bag and just bring out this huge display and yeah ordinarily I think if this had been a couple of years back that if Lewis Hamilton wins the race by 30 seconds and is probably in control really from sort of uh, what lap 20 onwards then uh, you wouldn't really think much about it but after the race when Lewis got out of the car you could tell just how exhausted he was how sort of mentally taxing the whole race had been just because of how much of a threat 
Red Bull is. And uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't like he he walked away with it. He had to, in the early part of the race, obviously fight back from um, sort of getting caught out on the restart, which allowed Max to stop and pass. But he picked off Max very well and uh, yeah, then reeled in Bottas and sort of as we tend to see, then managed to just get the move done and, and then peel off into the distance. So it was an excellent display. And yeah, I think just sort of foot perfect really from him all the way through this weekend. I think he's been um, in really, really good shape. And uh, yeah, 97 wins. It's just incredible that by the end of the season, he's going to be well over triple digits for both wins and pole positions. And it blows my mind. But yeah, I think another win today that just really sums up why he is in such class of his own uh, in F1 nowadays. Yeah, the stats that he has at the moment are absolutely breathtaking. Let's talk a bit more about some of the overtakes. So as you said, Verstappen took Hamilton after the safety car restart. And Hamilton has said since it's because he was focusing on Bottas, but then for that split second, looked in his mirror to see where Verstappen was, and that's when Bottas restarted. But he then obviously got Verstappen back shortly after and then went on the hunt for Valtteri Bottas and overtook him as well. John, what did you make of the overtakes that Lewis made in today's race? Clinical, both of them, I think. The Max one, I think, tells the story of Verstappen's weekend. It's a weekend where, you know, he could have come away from this with a win, I reckon. He had a car that was... You know, he did a lap for pole position yesterday. Um, had the track limits moment. I think without that, would have would have taken pole. It was a mistake that let Lewis get onto the back of him after the the restart. Um, he seemed to have Lewis didn't really seem to have the pace. Couldn't get close enough in that final sector. But Max made a mistake, um, and that ultimately proved the kind of the, the turning point for the race because that unleashed Lewis onto Valtteri, um, and then. You know, the move on, it took Lewis a little while to kind of get close enough to, to Valtteri, you know, biding his time a little bit, waiting for Valtteri's tyres to go off, which he's done in the past as well. We've seen it seen it happen a lot of times where Lewis sits there and waits and waits and waits and then pounces. But clinical, brilliant, well-judged, um, perfectly timed move on Valtteri down at Turn 1 because there's all the, all the possibility there to make a mess of it either tag the front right wheel of Valtteri or run wide on the exit and lose the position. But, you know, perfectly well judged. Uh, and just again, it shows it's one of Lewis's strengths is this overtaking the ability to find a way past a rival when others struggle so much. Yeah, he does seem to pull it out of the bag 99% of the time. And that is one thing that I did like about today's race. It may not have been the most thrilling, but at least it wasn't a straight easy win for Lewis we did actually have to see him pull, pull some overtakes out of the bag which we don't always have to see because sometimes it is a case of him just getting pole and flying off into the distance but staying on the topic of the marks I mean Bottas was on pole position today but obviously ended up third he was set up for a good race but it just did not happen for him he was one of the big losers of today right JBL? Yeah, he certainly was. Um, you know, he, he he controlled the race relatively well at you know at the very beginning, but yeah, then things just seemed to sort of get past him, um, and it sort of all fell away. And then just as he was about to go after Verstappen in the latter half of the race, he uh, you know had that slight disruption to the power in his car, uh, and that was later put down to uh, an exhaust sensor issue. So. What happens then is the engine sort of goes into a bit of a safety mode and it runs at lower power and that kind of thing. Um, we, we, we've seen it in the past from Mercedes. Um, you know, it, ha- it does ha- happen every now and again. 
but that was something they had to sort out. And by the time that they'd got it sorted, you know, he'd lost more ground to Verstappen. It took him to the point where he was no longer really in that battle for seconds. So that was the thing that got him into taking the soft tires at the very end of the towards the very end of the race and going for that fastest lap. It could have been second for him today had everything gone right. But yeah, it's just another one of those days where something happens to him and it's not necessarily of his own doing. It's just, it's just bad luck. Luke, what did you make of his drive today? And just the fact that at the moment, obviously, there's lots of talk about his seat. I know we're still very early in the season, but after the crash last weekend and the comments that were flying around about the fact that it was a collision between Russell and Bottas, what did you make of his performance this weekend? I mean, he did get pole. So, you know, like I said, he was set up in a good position. It's just that it seemed to unravel as the race went on. Yeah, completely. And I think when he took pole yesterday, I kind of thought, okay, well, this is the the, the resurgence. This is his fight back. That He's got on top of the sort of uh, tyre warm-up issues that he's really struggled with so far with this car. And yeah, he can make a big step forward and finally sort of stamp his authority on a weekend that he kind of does every now and then where he'll just dominate the weekend, take pole, easily win and all of that. Um, but then, yeah, in the race again, just everything seemed to, seemed to fall away from him. And he, uh, obviously, when you're stuck at the front of that train of cars, you're punching a hole uh, in the air, there's DRS for the cars behind it is very very difficult to sort of pull clear and just just fly off into the distance but uh so he wasn't able to do that but yeah and then okay it was unfortunate that Red Bull pitted Verstappen one lap earlier that gave him the undercut and then obviously on those hard tyres it's very hard to get them up to temperature so that was a, a bit of a struggle as well uh, as JBL said then the, the engine sensor issue another just uh, another slight problem so it's uh yeah it was just a lot of things that didn't really sort of add up for Valtteri but it was yeah again like you just kind of it's just really it's just a bit disappointing at times like you want to see a bit more fight and even when he was um being passed by Verstappen I was kind of thinking well should he maybe have tried sort of like could he have been a bit more aggressive in terms of keeping that position or or defending because if he'd held on probably a few more corners he probably would have been okay because he'd got the tires up to temperature so so yeah it's it's a difficult one and Toto Wolff after the race I mean he said that he sort of that Valtteri had a a very solid race and he kind of said look you got all these factors involved so um he's sort of quite happy with how he's performing um we did hear Toto come over the radio at one point as well and say to Valtteri hunt him down go after Verstappen but uh, Wolff actually said after the race that once he said that uh, Bottas's pace flatlined completely so it's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't say that in the future and I should just hold back. I don't know. But it's, uh, yeah, it's a difficult one. But I think that I would have liked to have seen a little bit more from Bartas today. I think it was a, a missed opportunity if you're on pole and yeah, you want to be you want to be winning that race and, and, and converting that into a victory. So uh, again, just lacking that little something against Hamilton. And um, it's, yeah, I think I just want to see a bit more from him at the moment. And I don't think we've really got that across the opening three races. Yeah, I'm the same. I feel like, off track he off when he has a good day like for instance yesterday he is quick to talk about the fact that yeah I'm back in the game like yesterday when he was being interviewed after the pole position that he got I remember he was saying you know everyone's talking about Max and Lewis but I'm still in the fight my actions will speak louder and then when it comes to on track you're like it's not really happened it's not really um been true and it's it's frustrating because you do just want to see that little bit more but nonetheless he did end up getting fastest lap but obviously for some context that was at the end of the race both Red Bull and Mercedes pitted Max Verstappen and Valtteri Bottas and took the chance to go for the fastest lap because there was no chance of them catching up with Lewis by that point and Max did think that he had achieved it 
And he didn't realise until he was in the post-race interview when they told him and he looked a bit taken aback and said it was odd because he didn't think that turn 14 was being monitored. But just to clarify, that isn't the case. It was being monitored. And that is another case of Red Bull not reading the rule book. And after the race, Helmut Marko on German TV was quite outspoken. And he said that, well, we've lost a, we've lost a race win in Bahrain. We've lost a pole position yesterday. And now we've lost the fastest lap. And uh, it's annoying. And he sort of went off about um, the the issue with um, with track limits. But the fact is, it's, it's in the rule book. And it's very, very clear. And all we had to do is that once Verstappen said it, and sort of in our um, internal chat, I think a few of us went, hang on a minute, that doesn't sound quite right. And we just went straight to the rules that Michael Massey sends out on Saturday morning. There was an updated bit saying turn 14 track limits will be monitored from now on. Outline the rules. It's very simple. So Red Bull have absolutely no reason to complain. It's just a a really basic error. And again, it was the same in Bahrain where frankly, they just didn't read the rule book well enough. Mercedes did. And then it was only mid-race Red Bull went, oh, hang on a minute here. So yeah, I just think that I, I don't think they've got any room to complain whatsoever yeah I think it's a very basic error um and threw away an easy point and come the end of the season you may look at that and go well could that be decisive these small errors are really what are swinging things and that's going to add up as as the season goes on JBL what do you make of these little throwaway mistakes that are being made Red Bull sort of a little bit rusty in having not really been in this kind of situation for a very long time it was the 2013 when they were last in the fight for a championship uh, and after that it's sort of gone downhill and it's sort of it's picked up now but it's these little operational errors where you know if you've got second and third or third and fourth kind of locks down and you know you're not really in the fight for a win that's not something that comes up but when you do have these moments where every single point is crucial you need to get everything right you need to dot the i's and cross the t's and when it comes to these little discrepancies in the rule book or whatever um you know, I think Rebel's been a little bit naive, uh, to put it like that. Um, you know, obviously they're doing a fantastic job and they've done a fantastic job with the car this year. But, um, you know, there's more than just designing a really, really good car. It's taking advantage of every single bit of the, uh, bit of the rules or, you know, accepting that certain rules can't be crossed or whatever. So... Yeah, I think I think it's just a little bit of of rustiness on that side of things. Staying on Red Bull for a moment, Sergio Perez, he started and finished fourth, but during the race we saw him going on that really long stint before his first pit stops, um, and then he switched to the soft tyres. What was the strategy there, John? Uh, chasing fastest lap. I said to, I mean, it looks like from the outside that he was the disruptive force that Red Bull have been lacking for so long in Formula 1 that they've always been max fighting against two Mercedes they haven't really had a second car up there um, I mean he lost a lot of time early on and the restart was dropped behind Lando and they were eight, about eight seconds back very early on um, which he once he got clear of Lando um, kind of the pace was consistent from then on but he was too far back so he wasn't going to close it down then they went super long on the stint it looked like he was just there to be a disruptive force potentially when Lewis came up to beat him maybe hold him back for a couple of corners and just drop him into Max's pace. But Christian was adamant that wasn't the case. They were just simply chasing the fastest lap. Um, so they knew the, the gap wasn't there in theory for the top three people, top three to go for the fastest lap. So they wanted to try and make sure one of the Mercedes drivers um, didn't take it. And Sergio had it for a little while, but unfortunately the soft tyre pace fell away drastically, which then gave Valtteri the um, 
Valtteri the gap he needed to do the pit stop. But I also think maybe Mercedes made a slight mistake on you know pitting on that lap because it allowed it came a lap too early because then allowed Red Bull to recover uh, or respond and then send a Max out. So that could have been costly. And we've seen also um, you know Mercedes pit stops weren't as quick as Red Bull today, and that was decisive because that basically was key in dropping. Valtteri into distance of Max at the after stops as well, because we, Red Bull are just a machine in terms of their sub two second pit stops. Where JBL talked about the the errors that people are making and Red Bull are making, I think it's on both sides, both teams really, and this is testament to the tremendous fight we've got, where these tiny little details are going to be different, going to make a difference. That you know the Max error in qualifying, the Max error in the race, the Max error on the track limits. But let's not forget, two weeks ago, Lewis made a you know, even bigger error was in the barriers um, at Imola uh, and somehow had the tremendous good fortune for there to be the red flag and he recovered a lap. I mean, those, I think, judging by how close it is, those 18 points he got that day for that, which shouldn't really have been his because there's no way you'd have been a lap down and recovered to second, um, may well prove to be decisive. And I think those margins, particularly with the with the fastest lap bonus point, which ever since it was introduced a couple of years ago, it's not it's not really made much of a difference. Like it's kind of just been okay, an extra point here or there. But it's really exciting. We're now in a title race where actually that could that could make a, a big impact. And I think Mercedes, for all their dominance in the past couple of years, you, you could kind of forgive them if they didn't actually really care that much about going for that extra bonus point. But they've always been very hot on it. They've always wanted to do that and maximize every weekend where possible. And uh, even I mean. I mean, even today, as you said, John, it was sort of a bit of a miscue from Mercedes to bring Bossas in that early. And Toto Wolff was asked about that after the race and uh, he called it a stupid moment. And he said it was a mistake by the team that they did blink too early because, as you said, that then gave uh, Verstappen a window to respond. Whereas if they had pitted when Verstappen did, he couldn't have. So it's little things like that that, again, I think. Uh, sort of touching on what JBL said about being a team in a title fight I think you look at every single area you can you leave no no stone unturned you do everything you can and it'll be even little things like that when Mercedes next time they get to a situation where they're like okay we need to pit for the fastest lap point let's wait until the last possible moment so they can't respond that's um yeah it'll be something they learn from but it's uh, just fascinating to see the gamesmanship uh, between the two teams in this and don't forget we've got points for sprint races this year as well i think oh, when we joys. judge when we yes. come down to the um you know the end of the title fight and they realize how close it is suddenly three points for a sprint race it's going to be very very attractive yeah i'm really looking forward to seeing how the sprint races unfold and particularly how much those points that the drivers get i mean i am assuming there that it will be the red bulls and mercedes that are getting those points how much of a difference they actually make we might touch on sprint races later on. That's the backup plan if we run out of things to talk about from the race. <laughs> um, but I want to stay on tyres for a second longer because we saw Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz both starting on the softs and then switching to the mediums. And they had very different outcomes from that choice. Lando Norris drove phenomenally and ended up fifth again really claiming that best of the rest spot, whereas Carlos Sainz really struggled and just completely fell down the pack. What on earth was happening there with the Ferrari and with Carlos Sainz? Because it was a tough day for him. Well, yeah, that was all down to uh, the uh, tyre strategy, basically, that um, 
the Ferrari when they moved onto the medium tire, it just didn't it just didn't work as well, and that was a, that was a real struggle. And after the race, uh, Science was he said he was quite quite upset and a little bit angry just about how his race had gone because he felt he had the pace to get a top five or a top six result as we saw in qualifying. It was when he moved onto that medium tire that he just really really struggled, and we saw him getting swallowed up by the rest of the field. We saw uh, Alonso, Ricardo, Gasly, they all passed him to sort of push him out of the points and uh, yeah so I think he really did struggle there and he was very very disappointed after the race Ferrari they're still sort of trying to get to the bottom of the SF21 car which is clearly a huge step forward on last year's car not difficult but they are just trying to work out whether or not the sort of swing between their qualifying pace and their race pace how big and severe that is because it was bad in Bahrain Imola, I asked Matteo Bonotto and he said that Imola is a bit of a tricky one to say because of the wet conditions. And he said here, they're just still not quite sure whether on the, particularly on the harder compound tyres, whether it's, um, it is as strong as it is in qualifying trims. So it's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting one, but yeah, science very, very disappointed after the race. Um, yeah, his old mate Lando Norris getting the, the better of him today. It would have been, I quite enjoyed it at one point when they both pitted within a lap of each other and they came out pretty much together. And I thought, okay, we're going to get sort of the old teammates going head to head again. And unfortunately it wasn't much of a fight in the end. Lando is just on a roll this season with his drives. I mean, he's demonstrating the potential he has, and he's currently sitting third in the championship, which is crazy. What are your thoughts, JBL, on the performances that Lando is putting in? There's a lot of talk about the fact that he's matured so much and that he's really proving his worth this year up in the top ranks of the current grid. What do you think? Uh, he's been a revelation, I think. The first season, he was very, very impressive. Um you know, in, in Formula One, he's always very adapted very, very quickly to championships. Um, you know, we saw that with, you know, first season in Formula Three, he, he won it. Then he went up to F2 and he was in the championship battle with, with Russell and Albon. And then he came into Formula One and he adapted very, very quickly. Sure, he had a, a bit of testing time. Um, and then the year after, second season, 2020, he built on that and was impressive. And he just keeps building on it and he keeps learning and he's... The more and more he gets dialed into that McLaren team, the more that they'll sort of they have this sort of symbiotic relationship, if you like, where he's working for them and they're working for him, and everything is just sort of connected perfectly. Um, today was a, a phenomenal drive because, as you said, he had that strategy that really didn't work for Science in the Ferrari at all, uh, and Norris was pushing sort of quite hard at the start to try and try and keep position from you know from the Ferraris, but. When he went onto that medium tyre, there was a point where I was thinking, Leclerc's catching him. Uh, I don't know if he's going to have the life in his tyres to be able to sort of preserve that, but he, he kept that gap open. Uh, so I think it was like three and a half seconds for quite a lot of it. And then by the end, it was like four and a half seconds. So he clearly had something in reserve. He was doing a fantastic job. And yeah, as you say, third in the championship. That's I know we've only had three races, but it's kind of crazy. Um, but that's just a testament to how, how good he's been this year. Hats off to him. He's definitely earned it. John, do you think that, I mean, as we've said, we're very early into the season, but as things continue, do you think he's going to further cement that position as best of the rest? Or do you think he may come under threat from some of the other guys in that midfield pack? No, I think, I think he's got the car i think the mclaren looks like it's the third quickest car i don't think there's not much over the ferrari but i think it it is the third quickest car it's definitely more consistent than the alpine um it's quicker than the aston um so i think there will be potentially weekends where maybe ferrari does outqualify them and outperforms them but i think lando's performing at such a consistently good level it just 
um, I think what kind of typifies his the level of confidence was that first lap move on Ocon today was just sensational, just really brave um, around the outside and exactly what he was um, doing where he needed to place the car, no hesitation in taking it um, and pulled it off. Which and that, that there's those moments where you kind of regain a regain trouble and get yourself back in position that can, can swing things because if you start drifting into the into the pack, you can quickly be you know, nudged down to the bottom end of the top ten, and it's really hard to recover. So, I think yeah, he's just performing at a, a brilliant, brilliant level. Um, third place in championship is incredible, and I think as as Daniel gets more comfortable, uh, more up to speed with that car, then you know you'll have two McLarens pushing up there, and that'll kind of further help Lando in that in that drivers' championship fight. Definitely. I want to move on to Charles Leclerc. He started P8, but managed to come home P6. But I think I caught him in an interview after saying that he wasn't actually that happy with how his day went. Luke, what did you make of his drive and anything he said since? Fairly sort of underwhelming by Charles Leclerc's extraordinarily high standards. Mm. I mean, we've seen him, he's been, I think, again, brilliant so far this season. And he was pretty disappointed after qualifying yesterday. Uh, seeing Science Speedman qualifying, I think, was a, a surprise to everyone. And um, he said that afterwards that he sort of learned about it's about sort of progressing through the weekend. And it kind of reminds me of when he first joined Ferrari and that he would kind of go into Q1 and automatically be really quick, but then not find much time across the rest of the sessions. And he said, like, he sort of, he just struggled a bit in terms of making progressions um uh, over the weekend and yeah i think that i think today i think he i think he benefited from not falling in this, into the same strategy pit that science did i think because obviously he started on the medium so that helped him um when he went onto the hards um yeah and i just think that it was it was a i think it was a quiet i think a very sort of fuss free race from leclerc i think he can be pleased with the whole of points he's got because again for for finishing finishing sixth for that to be a bad day for ferrari this year that that says a lot about how far they've come. So uh, yeah, I think he was. I think he was a, a little bit disappointed, but um, yeah, I think they're gonna. They're, I think he'll he'll look to bounce back. I'm sure in Spain next time. Moving on to the Alpines because they've really shocked everyone this weekend. They've come home with double points for the team. What have you made of their weekend so far, JBL? Because in the first weekend I can remember having conversations with John and we were talking about how we should be worried about the Alpine they really weren't looking too great but this weekend seems like a completely different story yeah I mean they've had a couple of weekends where they've looked kind of nowhere and it was I guess a bit worrying for them because obviously losing Ricardo, you've lost that driving force in the team you've had for the last couple of years and, and Ocon's kind of had to pick up that mantle and Alonso's had to get reacquainted and the car's been a little bit iffy. It's finally sort of come good for them this weekend and they have thrown a few updates at it in the last few races. Ocon qualified really, really well because I think FP1, they didn't even look particularly special then but it, it, it just kind of got better and better through the weekend and it's kind of snowballed really. Ocon qualified sixth and as John said Norris kind of dispatched him very uh you know very flamboyantly at turn 11 um but he got back into the race he fell down a bit but he managed to work his way through the pack and Alonso did the same Alonso was a lot more of a, a slow burner I feel like we did see a lot of replays where Alonso was working his way through the mid pack and there did seem to be a very very long period of time where he was making all of these overtakes but you still only like p11 or whatever but 
towards the end of the race, just that, that pace on the hard tyre was phenomenal. Um, if you looked at his lap times, his final lap was uh, a one twenty one zero, which is on a pace with the, the leaders. Um, so he really found something extra in in the latter half of the race. And by the end, he was only uh, a second off Ocon. So he yeah, a, a, a battling drive from Alonso, the sort of thing that we'd hope to see uh, since he'd come back and I think it's finally happening for him. I was really glad to see his performance today as well. It was so impressive, like you said, once he switched tyres, he really just came alive. This track, of course, is slightly unusual. Do you think that the performance we've seen this weekend from Alpine is something that will be repeated and that we'll continue seeing as we go to the next race and further further on? Or do you think it is something that maybe has worked out well at this race, but there will still be work to do in order to maintain this as we go forward in the season? We don't know, and I think they don't know. Um, Fernando said tonight that um, just wasn't sure why they were so quick this weekend. There's no real explanation as to There's why. There's been a lot of that this yeah, weekend. Yeah, but I think it's down drivers. to, I just think it's the, the track surface and then the, the kind of the the magic of these tyres and not really, teams not really understanding them. The fact the medium was potentially quicker than the soft in qualifying and then was so terrible in terms of degradation in the race. So there's a lot of strange things with this track surface and the wind and the tyres this weekend. So I think it's skewed things a lot. I think we haven't seen, I don't think we ever saw Red Bull's full potential here this weekend because that car didn't look as nailed as it has been so far this year. Whereas Mercedes looked far more balanced and on it this weekend than it's looked at any of the other races. So um, I think we've seen the shift. I think next weekend, Spanish Grand Prix is going to be absolutely key for giving us a proper understanding of where everyone stacks up and all these clues we've got about Red Bull potentially having the best qualifying car, Mercedes potentially having the, the best race car in terms of engine management and tyre management, McLaren being the third quickest car. I think we'll have the answers on pecking order because it's a track the teams know well. It's a track that tests aero, tests. You need some good power. You need good handling. You need good downforce. Um, so all those all those elements are there. So I think we'll come out of this time next weekend knowing properly if this was a one-off for Alpine and potentially a you know one-off in terms of Mercedes having a performance edge over Red Bull or are we back to the kind of competitive picture we saw in Bahrain and Imola? I heard Verstappen saying after the race that he doesn't want to return back <laughs> to this track, which I thought was rather harsh. What are your thoughts on the Portimao circuit, Luke? I love it. I love Portimao. It's great. It's it's. Uh, I know the words undulating and roller coaster have been <laughs> buzzwords all the way through this weekend. But it, it's just a cracking little circuit. And I, I went to the race last year and uh, did a, a track run around it. And I was just like, this place is absolutely beautiful. And it's it's just frustrating. And uh, I'm not a Formula One driver, as you may know. But it's just frustrating that you don't see them going full tilt and actually have like really able to fully maximise and enjoy it. And it was the same in Turkey last year. I mean, that was. A, an absolutely mega race do not get me wrong but I want to see those cars going full chat through turn eight uh, just doing everything they can and really showing what these cars are capable of doing and not be sort of tire limited and uh, and struggling and I think it's a similar thing for Portimao really um, I think that yeah Lewis Hamilton said it on Friday after practice. He said that the tyres are too hard. He's surprised they didn't come with the steps off the uh, tyre compounds. If we do return to Portimao in the future, which I sincerely hope we do, Maybe that's something to consider. Just, yeah, go a step a step softer on the tyres. Maybe if more and more series go there. I mean, we've got WEC there heading there in a, in a couple of weeks. If more and more 
championships go to Portimao and just put more rubber down, make the track work more. Hopefully that will help. But um, yeah, I, it is it is frustrating because yeah, you want to see the drivers sort of going going full beans and being able to give it everything. And we maybe didn't get that all the way through this weekend. So uh, yeah, hopefully it gets solved because it's it's a great track and I think a really good asset to have on the F1 calendar. Uh, I think it's all right. I, it's not my favourite circuit on the calendar. Uh, it's certainly not my least favourite either. <laughs> Paul Ricard. <laughs> but I think it, it's perfectly fine. It's very, very sort of technical. There's places to overtake, obviously, which, again, a lot of circuits are lacking. I think, what's the penultimate corner? That's turn 14, isn't it? I, I feel, I, I think that's a bit of a cop-out. I don't really like off-camber corners, and that one's the sort of one where you just you, you turn in and sometimes you just drift out and it's really really hard to put a pass on another driver there because there's only really one line through it yet again there's other corners where there's lots of different lines and so other drivers can make an impact so yeah i, I think it's i think it's fine uh, i think f1's been been pretty good there but yeah it's, it, again it's not my favorite john Finally, before we move on to the Aston Martins, are you a fan of Portimao? Yeah, or? I think I think it looks fantastic on television. I mean, they, it does. when you see the when you see the cars coming around that final corner, for example, and they kind of come over the brow of the hill and they're dropping down into the dip. Uh, I thought, bizarrely, I thought the most sensational looking was the safety car that was sideways around there during the start of the race as it came over the brow. You got a real sensation of speed, kind of how quick and how pushing on the safety car was going at that moment and I like the I like the elevation change into turn one you know it looks fantastic when they're coming down and pulling these moves as they come over the, the brow of the hill so I am a big fan of these roller coaster tracks where there's a bit of elevation and I think something we need more of um, in Formula 1 so I do worry that we get these tracks like Miami and we saw with Vietnam that you know totally flat and we see it with Sochi and the totally flat tracks aren't exciting yeah, I'm a fan of Portimao as well. And I think that, like Luke said, I think the problem is that we don't get to see the cars pushing flat out. But I think it is an absolutely brilliant track to watch on screen. And yeah, without overusing the buzzwords, it does look like a roller coaster. I want to go back to the drivers today, though. Vettel and Stroll... I had hoped that today things would look up for Sebastian Vettel after his qualifying session yesterday. Of course, that didn't happen. Um, first race of the season where the team didn't get any points at all. We all know that the Aston Martin team had really high expectations coming into the season, but race after race, I mean, we're on race three, but race after race, they're just proving that they're not living up to those expectations at all. And that there's obviously a deeper issue here what do you make of the aston martin problems right now just not quick enough i think that's the that's the, the basic summary is that they've obviously obviously took the knock um because of the aero rules and um you know i think the getting wasting time complaining that they were unfair on one team and needed to fi need to step in and potentially change them and help them was just a you know going down a dead end with that Basically, the only solution is to respond and improve the car and come back and make the steps. I had brought an upgrade here this weekend, which Lance Stroll ran his car. Sebastian Vettel will get it for the Spanish Grand Prix. Um, judging by the pace we saw today, potentially could be better because Lance made some decent progress up the field. And Sebastian, just the car and the pace wasn't there. But I think, again, it was a the strange weekend and the strange swing we saw with Alpine could well explain, you know, was Vettel's performance in qualifying yesterday where he broke, I think it was a 15 race streak of not making it through to Q3. 
Was that down to the, the track characteristics and the track surface and just simply nailing it on a day when other drivers didn't nail it? Um, so I think we'll, we'll see more. But I mean, basically, Aston just needs to keep bringing improvements, keep developing that car, trying to recover this lost downforce um, and just make the, the back end stick a bit more to help both its drivers. Now, when I was speaking to Codders on Friday for our practice report, he was saying that, you know, perhaps the fact that the car that they had last year was very similar to the Mercedes car, maybe that's now backfired on them because they've taken the car as such, um, but they don't actually know the ins and outs of how to then advance the car when there are rule changes that, as we've seen, have affected them negatively. Do you think that's playing a part, that they don't have the deeper knowledge and understanding of the car that they would have had they not perhaps um, done a bit of a copy and paste job, shall we say, Luke? I think JBL's probably a better place to <laughs> Go on, JBL. As our, our resident tech guy. I, I think to a degree there is that, I think, lack of understanding of the certain concept. Obviously, it's something they switched to last season. And so they had to spend last season getting the most out of that particular design. And now they've been throwing this curveball. They don't really know what to do with it. But to piggyback on John's point of wasting time complaining, that, of course, it's, it, it is stupid. I don't think anyone could honestly reasonably expect the FIA to go, yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. We, we we made a mess of this and, you know, here's some free upgrades. You can do what you like. No, you, you've made your bed, Aston Martin. I'm sorry, but <laughs> you are going to have to lie in it. And whether that is through just getting your head down and putting in these upgrades and working out on how to develop the car, that's fine. Or whether you decide, okay, we might have to, call this season a sort of uh, a damp squib and move on to 2022 you know it's up to them but trying to lobby the FIA to try and change things because they feel hard done by it's a bit it's a little bit uh, of a cop out I think you know you have to I know it's there's pressure now they've got this illustrious name and they want to sell cars and stuff and it's trying to save face a little bit but I don't think they can expect to do that in it at all it wasn't a battle that they were going to win. And yeah, I agree that the energy would be better spent elsewhere. Another person that impressed in qualifying but didn't really have a great day today was George Russell. And it we heard him saying that the car was just undrivable today and he was struggling when he was getting close to other cars. But what is it that's going wrong with the Williams? Because it seems that on the Saturdays, we are sometimes seeing some strong performances, particularly from George Russell, but it's just not converting to race pace on Sunday. So is this a case that they need to maybe shift their focus a little bit onto Sunday? Because ultimately, that's where the points are at. I think that because we know they've gone into this season saying they went for quite a, I think they said peaky was the word they used, car concept, in that it would be pretty terrible at some places. And they said after Bahrain, they were like, we think that's as bad as it's going to be. And then it would be really successful on on other tracks and other conditions. And I think that, yeah, after qualifying yesterday, George was P11 and I think only half a tenth of a place in Q3. We kind of thought, okay, well, maybe this is one of those good peaky weekends. And then, as you say, yeah, in the race, it kind of just, just fell apart, really. So I think it's uh, it's... Again, you've got to sort of question like, okay, what is is just that down to just how perplexing these conditions at Portimao were? Is it is that is that all there is to it, really? Because yeah, I don't think we we expect to see George Russell being overtaken by Nicholas Latifi at one point. No offense to Nicholas Latifi, but um, and yeah, Williams. I think they after being pretty pretty decent sort of on that in that um, lower end of that midfield fight 
in the first couple of races this weekend they yeah they did just look at it like they were sort of back to their old status of it's us and Haas at, at the very rear so yeah I think it's something for them to get to the bottom of I think as, as John said sort of looking ahead to next week I think Barcelona is going to be a good sort of litmus test for everybody to say this is where we actually are and I think that may give Williams some more answers but yeah I think we all want to see um, Mr Saturday finally become Mr Sunday and get those first points for Williams because it's been a long time coming for the team. It has been a long time coming and I know a lot of people thought that it would be today. I was tuned into the virtual paddock club this morning and Laura Winter was saying that she woke up and straight away she was thinking about George Russell getting points but I dread to think how she is feeling now. A team that we didn't really see that much of was Alpha Tauri. Pierre Gasly did finish in the points but not really much from them today. What was going on there, John? Uh, well, same as Aston Martin, not quick enough, um, basically. They had a really strange season because mm-hmm. they appeared, I mean, pre-season testing, they looked very strong. Bahrain uh, looked really, really quick. Gasly was potentially, um, you know, on the pace with the McLarens and, you know, with a shot of um, being the third quickest team. But the season's kind of slipped away already. They, um, you know, Bahrain, the crash with, or the collision that, Damaged his front wing, cost Gasly um, back there. Then Imola was the wrong tyre choice. Uh, and here, just just not quick enough. And I think that midfield pack, um, you've got McLaren at the front and then Ferrari just behind. And then I, th- I think after that, anything kind of nudging it one way or another, you lose a tenth here and a tenth there. And suddenly you're, you're at the bottom end of the top ten. Um, I think the car's not especially good in slow speed stuff um so they're already worried for monaco so it seems to be maybe it's a car that's much better in high speed corners um and a lot of portimao is kind of slow to medium-ish you've obviously got the quick final corner and the the first section but um maybe the characteristics the track surface didn't play to them but i mean i think we see potential in that car and i think it may well go well at barcelona medium to high speed circuit yeah, it's baffling. They just don't seem to have the consistency that we thought they might have, judging by the pace we saw in Bahrain. Further down the field, looking at Haas, we had a good day for Mick Schumacher. He had a pretty clean drive throughout. He did the pass on Nicholas Satifi for P17. Nikita Mazepin, five-second penalty for not getting out of the way when Sergio Perez was trying to lap him. What on earth? was that what is what is going on here with Mazepin JBL you look like you're about to say something or just laugh <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you the censored version um, <laughs> I'll first, first I'll touch on Mick as yes. he mentioned he passed Latifi he, he looked uh, really really good in that battle um, obviously he lost ground due to traffic but he sort of kept catching Latifi up um, and on that Williams point I think Russell mentioned during the race that he was it was really really bad in traffic so I think Williams found that to their detriment very much in the race. Um, so that that you know that gave Mick an in, and he did a really good job there. Um, and uh, Mazepin, and I'll choose my words carefully, seems to have very little regard for the rules and regulations as they exist in Formula One, whether the engineer was late on the radio or not. You know, you see a rebel in your mirrors and you know, you're a minute behind your teammate, you've got to be thinking, okay, I'll probably let them through. I'm not really racing for anything here. But again, he's a minute behind everybody else. He thinks, you know what, I'll make this difficult, even though he's the leader. It's It, it does boggle the mind and 
I do wonder what his thought process was at the time. I'm I'm really surprised actually by just how poor he has been over these first three races because I think the fact that the fact he had so much private testing as well, that was kind of the thing. That it's, a, it's an advantage that only a few drivers in the world ever get. I mean, we saw that, um, uh, for example, Nicholas Latifi had it, and he came into F1. He's been, I mean, Latifi has been decent. He's not been completely, like, you're sort of looking and going, well, what's he doing here at all? He's, he's been very respectable. Whereas with Mazepin, I don't think we've we've not seen anything so far that's made us go, oh, okay, that's why he's in F1. Like, um, again, you're a minute behind your team I think he was lapped by George Russell as well which is is crazy um but believe it or not Mazepin it's unconfirmed but apparently did actually win the driver of the day vote because people on the internet decided to be really really funny and all go and vote for Nikita Mazepin so if you go onto the reddit posts and the uh instagram post saying that Sergio Perez was announced as the winner which seems a bit random Perez he had a good race but I wouldn't call it driver of the day um yeah and all the people are going what about Mazepin we voted for Mazepin and I think it was a similar thing a few years back was it Sorokin and Kibitza I think they were always winning the fan I think Rio Harianza won the first one exactly yeah and it's just like I I like what everyone are trying to do I like yeah let's get fans engaged and involved and fine but just yeah i i I don't i don't know but um yeah poor performance from Mazpin. really no excuse for his drive in that silly decision to hold perez up and i also saw the driver of the day thing and was wondering whether it was true i mean i was in disbelief obviously but then, as you said, the fact that Perez ended up getting it sort of made me think, okay, maybe there is truth in this because why would Perez have got it? There was nothing to say that I would have been like, oh, yes, like give Perez driver of the day. I would have thought that it would have gone to Lewis or Lando or, you know, but I don't know. I don't know whether we'll ever get to the bottom of that, but the power of the internet there. Now, next up, we have Spain. As John, you've said, I think that it will be a really good opportunity to see the pecking order. I know that a lot of the teams are expecting the same thing. Christian Horner has spoken of that as well. But before we actually wrap things up, I do want to very quickly touch on the sprint races because we do have a bit of time and I want to get your thoughts on them. So it's been confirmed that it will happen for three races this year and one of them is Silverstone but what do you guys think of the concept are you on board or not and why I am very much on board I think that it is going to add an extra dimension to the weekend I think it's going to give a bit more individuality to those race weekends which I think is always quite cool I think that, yeah, I think they have, um, I think the, the plan they've got, it keeps everyone happy in terms of the sort of extra cost cap and everything like that, because that's what teams were worried about. I think that the points on offer, I think it's enough that it will give an incentive, but I don't think people are going to go crazy. And I think it just adds an extra level of jeopardy that, yeah, if you if you try and go for a move in the sprint qualifying and you spin and you're at the back and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I can't fight my way back through and that's it, then it really is going to, it's going to cook you for the race. So I think it's, yeah, it's just an extra, it's just an extra sort of dimension. And I think it's really cool. And I don't, I don't really understand the sort of negativity towards it because people saying, oh, well, it's going to detract from the main Grand Prix. I don't see how it will. I mean, Macau is probably one of the only other, notable races that runs a sort of a similar sprint race format and we never go oh so and so yeah they won the sprint quality sorry they won the qualifying race but the main race oh it was this other guy 
No, we only remember who won that race. So it's, yeah, I don't get the criticism. I think it's a great idea. I think it's going to be really cool to see. We'll see it in practice. And then if it doesn't work, F1 next year can go, we're going to bin it. Yeah, nothing ventured, nothing gained. John? Do you echo Luke's uh, I, I completely, completely agree. Um, I like the idea. I think people are <clears throat> criticising it, criticising it for the wrong thing, claiming that, oh, there's nothing wrong with the current qualifying format. Why are we trying to spice it up? That's not what it's about. It's about making the whole Grand Prix weekend better. So now you'll have, um, you know, a qualifying on a Friday, a race on Saturday, and a race on Sunday. But even better than that, you will have cars and drivers get one hour of practice before they're straight into qualifying. So you're going to have this greater level of jeopardy and uncertainty from drivers. I mean, how many times have we seen cars and drivers really struggling on a Friday night and then they do mammoth sessions in simulators and um, back at the factory and then in the morning, the setup, the new setup's put on the car and Saturday morning they're all fine and get going again. Whereas now there isn't going to be the time to do that. You're going to be, if you're on the back foot after practice, you're on the back foot in qualifying. So I think we'll see a more jumbled up order um, more things thrown into the mix. I think the sprint races um, will work fine. And, I, you know, I've been to Macau many, many times and the Saturday race is, is as exciting as a normal race, but it doesn't have the edge edge of the Sunday event. It's not the main Grand Prix. They're fighting for grid positions, not the, the final result. Um, I'm not a fan of giving any points, actually, on Saturday. I think the sprint race should just be for qualifying because I think that's, there should be a big differentiator between the, the two. And I think having pole position itself is worthy enough fighting for um and it's up to drivers to judge if they're willing to you know make an extra effort and charge through and take the risks and go for p1 just for the pole position or not i'm looking forward to it uh, and i think in the end it'll be a be a success and we, we can get it rolling out not every race but i think you could easily have between five and ten sprint races at the right circuits each year I think I'll reserve judgment for them. I don't think it's going to change a whole lot, personally. It's a bit of a sort of whataboutist issue, but, you know, there's other issues that I probably would have tackled first, but, you know, the season being too long is one of them. Um, but on the on the plus side, it means fewer practice sessions, which are boring. We get an extra race out of it, which, you know, at the right tracks, as John says, that can be really, really brilliant because... You know, so many times we see in a race, and we saw it today, where teams are excellent on a certain stint and rubbish in another stint on a different set of tyre. And so, yeah, it does have the potential to jumble up the grid. And then for the longer race, you, you these cars are sort of maybe out of position or whatever and have a better chance to make the Sunday race more spectacular. So well, I don't think you lose too much by having them. But yeah, I think we'll, we'll sort of have to wait and see the impact first. But I, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how they do. And there you have it. I actually echo JBL's sentiment as well. I'm not desperately for or against it, but more than open to seeing how it pans out and hoping that it does add something very exciting to the race weekend. But that is all we have for today. Thankfully, it's not long until our next race with round four next weekend in Spain. And of course, we'll be back with our race coverage then. Thank you guys for joining me. And in the meantime, on Autosport Plus, right now you can read the following articles. Gary Watkins writes about what to expect from sports car racing's bold new hypercar era. Jonathan Noble looks at the biggest headache F1 faces over its sprint race experiments and how the Valencia E-Pre Fast left Formula E with an image problem. New subscribers who sign up today can use the promo code PODCAST during checkout to save 50% off their first payment. 
Go to autosport.com forward slash plus and click sign in at the top of the page and then use promo code podcast for 50% discount. Thank you all for tuning in and we'll catch you again at Spain. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Most footwear brands use cheaper synthetic materials, but when it comes to quality, Mother Nature knows best. Allbirds took that idea and ran with their iconic wool runners. Wool runners are made with premium supernatural materials that are comfy and durable, so you can run to the ends of the earth or just to the store. Plus, they're machine washable. This year, take a big step forward for Mother Nature with Allbirds Wool Runner. Discover your perfect pair today at allbirds.com. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Sports Social Podcast Network.